Welcome to the checkout, founder of Sankofa Farms. Coming at us live from the farm, no doubt, is Kamal Bell. Thanks for making time for us. No problem. Thanks for having me today. So tell us, how did you get interested in farming? So for me, I always had a love and a passion for outdoors. So growing up, uh, I was always outside and finding bugs and playing with little insects. My boys, my two youngest boys are the same way. Uh, or my, I have three kids now. So my two, my two oldest ones are the same way. They love, um, they love being out in nature too. And I think just my, once I start to learn more about solutions um, or things that I've worked to help and uplift the black community in the past, that coupled in with my, my passion for nature ultimately led me into farming. So where is Sankofer Farms and what motivated you to start it? So um, Sankofa is in a small um, municipality called Cedar Grove, North Carolina, here in Orange County, North Carolina. So I know everybody has probably just gotten done watching and going crazy over college basketball. So where UNC is, it's about 30 minutes from UNC Chapel Hill, like their main campus. So um, what ultimately got me in it was just learning about the impacts that food deserts had on the black community and then wanting to design a business that touched on the things that we saw that made food deserts. So like an example would be um, land ownership. I wanted to go in on land. Um, Food, like having access to healthy food, so we want to produce healthy food, even though there are many more barriers. Uh, We thought about education, because they they tried to call it educational attainment. I think it's really more cultural preference. So uh, we looked at that from centering like the name of Sankofa and what we do at the farm around our culture and growing those items. Um, we also saw the youth component and um, the idea of sustainability. So we, we transferred or switched over to regenerative agricultural practices. And we looked at sustainability, we look at sustainability also from a youth, like work with the youth so you have more long-term solutions. Um, then we looked at uh, the economic piece. So we've, we've been really, working on a model, entrepreneurial model, for more people to be able to use as they go into small-scale farming. What does Sankofa mean, and how have you been inspired by the African diaspora uh, tradition uh, in farming, as well as, uh, you know, just the legacy of Black farmers in the Deep South? Um, So Sankofa means to uh, go back and get it, or it can be also understood as a phrase that means it's not taboo to forget what has been um, left behind in the past. And But for us, we understand it as remembering your African ancestry as you move forward in life. So for us with being a, and I, and I think it's hard for people to kind of understand it, where like, I don't think really look at African-Americans, we're really American-Africans. So our ancestry, even though we've, we've only been here, uh, some of us 200 years, others might be a little bit longer, but the majority of our history is in Africa. <laughs> so I think people are like, you're American. We're also African too, here in America. So we're African first. So I think it's, it's been really important for us to cling to those concepts and cling to our history in order to move forward and have an identity who we are today. So the idea is that 
we saw like our our perspective of agriculture doesn't start with slavery. A lot of people when they're talking always go back to that. But like I said, there's such a small moment in our history, like in African history. So for us, we looked at our contributions to ag- the agricultural um, field or to uh, building um, food sources. And we looked at Africa first. So we know that it start with slavery. So that's that's barely uh, that's never like our reference point to our history. What are some of the agrarian traditions from Africa that have inspired you? And and just says context, we've had Leah Penniman, Karen Washington on the show. Uh, we've talked quite a bit of, you know, from their perspective, and I'd like to get your take on that as well. Uh, mine's is going to immediately go back to beekeeping. Um, the oldest records of beekeeping can be found in ancient Kemet, and um, which is now Egypt. So the original people of Kemet, um, it meant land of the black. And so the people who were, who were like, or who occupy Egypt now, historically um, and ancestrally, um, aren't from that area. So the hieroglyphics depict a different pe- a different uh, type of person, and um, they also have depictions of beekeeping there. Um, also, uh, Angola, which was the large largest exporter of beeswax in the early 17th century in the world. So I think there's a, a, a those are the that's how I look at agriculture. Um, I look at it more so from a communal aspect and a social aspect, a way of life, more so that something that everybody participated in, and not more so from this like um, agriculture is the way it is now because we've gotten away from all participating in the food system mm-hmm. um, outside of the consumer aspect. So I don't knock the mechanization of agriculture. I understand why it has to exist. But my aspect is that it's a communal and it's a right for everybody. Everybody has a place. It should, it should, it should be integrated into that food system at some point. So being in North Carolina, what is uh, the situation with food apartheid, food insecurity, uh, lack of healthy food access in the communities that you're serving? Um, it's, it disproportionately affects black people here in North Carolina and specifically, um, kids. So for us, being able to work with youth is a way to bridge or try to do that. But you you realize once you're doing the work, you're just like a little link in the chain. So I think our, um, one of our other focuses has been bringing in, um, more resources to amplify the mission and to also, figure out how we're going to truly address it. Because I think one part of the conversation is like land sovereignty and um, uh, being one with nature, like those, that I did, which is a part of it. But the other part is like, once you occupy the land, how do you keep it? Because we know, we know what happens to people who can't keep their land from any background, but disproportionately black people just taken, neighborhoods get gentrified. So for us, we're looking at how we can try to address these issues from a holistic approach and how we don't let this thing repeat itself again. You mentioned regenerative agriculture. What kind of growing techniques are you using and how do you describe or understand regenerative agriculture? Because it does not yet have a consistent meaning or or a legal definition like organic or a broad cultural understanding yet. So what does that mean in terms of practices? I think when we look at like that word, the first person I think of is uh, George Washington Carver, 
But then I think about the systems and that exist in Africa to this day where you're 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 part of the ecosystem. So everything that you do should be giving back. If you take away, you should be giving back. That's how I look at it. Um, it's not extractive where it's just based on. I mean, I think there's a a, a nice line between once you find a market of um, of small scale farming and that concept. It does take a little bit more work, but once you find your market, I think you can um, kind of evade that um, lo- like losing money because I know people are gonna come back to that. I, of course, we live in America, so you have to make a living. But I think just as far as always realizing that you're not bigger than the environment you're interacting with, and you're one, and you should be strive to be one with it. Awesome. Sorry about that. I almost cut you off there. What are the economics that you're facing as a small scale farmer? Um, that's, you're probably the first person to ask us that. And I mean, I think it's a good time. Um, I think Sankofa has found a niche in this area. Um, we do a lot of wholesaling, um, and we do very little, uh, retail and it's been, we've been able to cover our monthly expenses in the first week of each month because we've, I didn't, I never looked at farming as a, um, I, I realized very early on it would be hard for it to be a full-time job. So for me, we do a lot of, uh, we have a lot of extensions to our operation where we'll, we have an Airbnb experience at the farm. It's called Bees in the Trap. Um, I don't try to be out here longer than five or six hours uh, every day. Um, so I don't, there are very few weeks where if anywhere I'll do 40 hours, it's like not realistic. <laughs> You'll like be burnt out. So I think for us, just being able to consistently have plants in, in the ground, um, keep in mind of like water, keep in mind water conservation. And we do a lot of composting here and integrating um, compost into our native soil. I think that you can come out very well um, with the model that we're implementing here. And, And then we're not like overly sticklers on like our, our, our quality of produce is, is pretty consistent and very high. So I think that um, we've been able to find some niches here and are willing to be able to talk to others about what we found out here, at, what we found it here at Sanko. One of the other points you brought up earlier in terms of regenerative philosophy was working with young people. What kind of work do you do with the youth in the community and how have they responded? Um, so what I'll do with the youth is I'll introduce them to the farm and the idea and then we will work from there because i know that everyone isn't going to be a farmer in today's in today's society but i do know is that you're starting at the foundation of existence like you have to have a food source to live and you can teach people anything else from that so you, we incorporate technology here we'll teach them life skills um mentorship um economics or entrepreneurial we'll give them um, an idea of entrepreneurship I will work with them on public speaking, um, setting up and branding themselves. So we do a lot with the youth. Uh, one of our youth who was, got, he got a little bit off track. I had to, I started working with him again and uh, he just called me maybe an hour before you called and he's getting back on track. I've been bringing him back to the farm and talking with him. So I think, um, I guess motivation, motivational practices, I guess I don't know exactly what that's called, but 
and the youth have bought in and responded very well. And we're actually getting ready to do some work with youth in the public school system again as well. So we're going to be interacting with a lot more youth. What do you like growing besides uh, herding bees? That's a good question. Um, that's a good question. Um, I like growing kales, uh, collard greens, um, char, lettuces. I like growing celery a lot. Hmm. Um, that's probably my favorite things to grow. Um, carrots. We just got our first crop in the carrots uh, in about three weeks ago. And they're coming up very nicely. Uh, what else? I like my favorite thing. Um, is watermelon like to eat to consume from the farm? Um, okra is really hard to manage. It, it just yields so much. You have mm -hmm. to stay on top of it. With mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, the, the, those are my those are my things that I like growing. Yeah. What's your peak okra season there? Like mid to late July? Um, peak okra season could be like mid to late July, all the way until until probably like mid July. I can, get, I can get okra in like May, <laughs> like oh, from May all the way. Right. Yeah, it's hot enough here. And I, I think we could do it from May all the way until about September, October here. Okra is like, you, you got to keep up with it. It's like a race because you got to pick it before it gets, you know, bigger than, you know, I, yeah. I, my judge is like bigger than your finger and it's like inedible, but I don't know. What yeah, it is. yeah. Yeah, is that, is that like my index finger? And if I don't get it that day, it's like the size of my middle finger the next day and it gets all woody and it's really hard. But um, I like I like growing it because of the yield. It's not like a high money maker, but I just like growing it um, because it tastes really good if you, if, you, if you pick it correctly. I think people are sleeping on okra. It's one of my favorite things to grow when, yeah. and eat when it's in season. It, it's really good. It's really good. What's your soil quality like out there? So we have red clay out here. Um, and... It it the, the thing I like about it is that it has a lot of minerals in it. Um and it holds water really well. If it doesn't get too much, you get the right quantity or, or it's in terms of the mud. But um the downside is that it dries when it when the water when the moisture evaporates, it dries, it gets like stone solid. So that's why we've been integrating it with compost over the last few years. And we've I think that's why the quality of our produce is the way it is, is because of the red clay mixed in with the um Mixed in with our compost. I was going to ask you what kind of fertility techniques you use. Uh, we, we're composting and integrating native soil. I don't do all the fertilizers and the bone meal and then all that stuff. I don't, I, the chicken pellets and I don't do that. I don't like, I don't do that at all. We, we may in the future, probably like maybe next year or the year after, in the house that have been heavily composted, we may move to a compost tea and kind of quit with the, uh, there's only so much compost you can use. So um, we may use, we may move to that. But um, as far as soil fertility, it's compost and native soil. I trust the native soil enough to uh, not have to integrate anything else in it. Awesome. How can our listeners support not only the work that you are doing, but the work that other folks like you are doing around the country? Um, I think people can amplify it by um really word of mouth um we have a lisa hive program if people want to support the business technically they could buy the they can buy into the lisa hive program um 
that would we'll send them a video on uh, or if they declined it they'll get honey at the very least if they don't want it but we also send educational videos on beekeeping so um if they want to support lisa hive will be a great option to support uh without trying to send a donation because we're llc you won't get a tax write-off for it mm-hmm. but um we um i think those things where people can actually mutually benefit i think that can be something that um that we do what kind of policies would you like to see implemented to support the type of work you're doing i think our work is more centered around i don't think policies through the system that's there they're in, in the in, this is where i probably disagree with a lot of people mm-hmm. like we've of course went out and like went to the usda to get the property and everything mm-hmm. but i realize it doesn't work for everybody um i think that if we i don't think there's any policy that america would back peacefully to help <laughs> black people collectively with land loss and black people get in the farm i'm i'm not like we We've seen what happened with the debt forgiveness. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not. I'm not a. I don't think that will ever happen. I think that the best thing we can do is learn from each other, and then empower ourselves and try to accumulate as much land as possible, and and be able to keep it. I don't think there's. I don't. I, I'm not hopeful that there are policies. I think there are a lot of things that kind of. Um, there are a lot of organizations that I think that exist that once they see that that's kind of happening and i might even talk about that disagree with it i think there are a lot of things in our communities that provide as resource buffers where they get in the way and they get all the resources in the community as a benefit i think uh, i don't know people have been watching the news lately but we're seeing that what happened with black lives matter where they've been embezzling the money to buy mansions and stuff so because our community has structures like that i think it's up to like us as individuals to do like I don't believe in the individual concept at um in like a one like singular person, but I think it's it's meant for us to be able to um empower and feel compelled to go do these things and then others will be able to support the thing that's working and not something that just comes out of thin air that we that like gets publicity that we think works. Well, I appreciate the grassroots effort and the fact that you are on the ground practicing what you preach. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. I think that's. Some, I think a lot of. I think we need more concerted grassroots efforts, and these things that just pop up out of nowhere, and we're like, "Where did that came from? That looked really pretty." It's like the ad is like everything that glitters isn't gold, and I think it's real easy to like just with the condition we're in to kind of like put those things out in front of us and people gravitate toward them. But I think I don't know. I think I don't know how much more wiser we need to be to say, "Hey." Let's support the things that we've seen tangible results from. And I think Sankofa is one of those things that we would welcome the support to amplify the mission. Amazing. Do you have any closing thoughts for our audience? Um, I, I appreciate you all listening. Um, please listen with the open mind. And uh, if you all want to reach out to us, um, please follow us on social media. On all of our social media handles are Sankofa Farms, S A N. K-O-F-A, Farms, F-A-R-M-S. Well, Kamal, thank you so much for you, your your birds chirping in the background, <laughs> and all the work that you're doing out there at Sankofa Farms. Great to talk to you. Nice talking to you too.